Hello. Power can be a dangerous element. For some it can unlock their own potential for greatness, but for others it unleashes an inner demon that seeks only to destroy. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and rockery, and you're listening to Cinema Limbo. Tonight's presentation is Fantastic Four, the 2015 superhero adventure directed by Josh Trank, and my guest is Chris Arnsby. You join us on a winter weekend, alone by the fireside. Hello, Chris. Hello. <laughs> Just finishing off a conversation we had earlier. Yeah. Um, now, we've covered a number of superhero movies today on uh, Cinema Limbo. We've done a Batman movie. Mm-hmm. We've done a Superman movie. But we haven't really done a Marvel movie, I don't think. No, nothing springs to mind. But an ideal candidate is Fantastic Four. Because there are several Fantastic Four movies, and most of them are terrible. Yes. And all for different reasons. Now, this particular one, I think it's the newest film we've done with Cinema Limbo, because it was only released a year and a half ago, mm. depending on when this is released. And it is already regarded as one of the worst superhero movies of all time. And it has definitely killed at least one person's career. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's true. Did you see it when it came out? No. Um, I think there were a few films where... I was toying with the idea of going to see them, but the critical reaction was just so bad. There comes a tipping point where you just think, I think I'll just keep my money in my wallet, to be honest, because I had the same thing with Quantum of Solace. It's, it's to date, I think, the only one of the new one of Bond films I haven't seen in the cinema, precisely because by the time it got to the point where I was ready to go and see it, everyone was telling me it's terrible. And you think, well, do I really want to spend money just to go and see something that I already have, already know is bad? And the other problem with the the film was I knew it was yet another origin story. And there's always this point where you think, how many origin stories do they need to tell for the same characters? I mean, Spider-Man's now had two separate origin stories, hasn't he? Yes. Batman's had two, three separate origins? I think, it, well, he's had two... Well, no, he's had three continuities, but mm. they've skipped over the origin with the Ben Affleck version. Superman's had two origin stories. The Fantastic Four, in the course of three films, has had two origin stories. We've had three origins in four movies. Oh, is it four? Oh, right, as many as that. We're forgetting the other Fantastic Four. Oh, yes, of course. Because now, of course, the Fantastic Four is also the name you can give to the box set of their films. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Because they are all fantastic in the sense that they are all based in fantasy, Mm. uh, as opposed to qualitatively. Yes, We'll talk a little bit about the uh, yeah. the very first Fantastic Four movie. This is the third Fantastic Four film that I've actually seen in the cinema. Blimey. I saw the two mid-2000s films when they came out, mm. and they are films for younger viewers. I think that's a polite way of putting it. They're not absolutely awful. They, they re- they're really not, um, but they're not very good. I had the chance to see the Fantastic Four on a plane flying out to Las Vegas, which you'd normally think would be quite exciting. Yeah. But at the, the, the point when the film started, the plane was flying through in the middle of a horrendous thunderstorm. And oh, did you, it was... going to get superpowers? No, I just remember thinking... Somebody, the guy I was travelling with said, do you want to watch the film? I said, no, i just sit here in my chair and try not to freak out if that's OK <laughs> with you. Well, in, um, in those two, it's Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Mm. You have Ewan Griffith as Reed Richards, 
Yeah, I couldn't tell you who was. I've seen, I've subsequently seen them both. I oh, couldn't tell uh, you who. Jessica was Alba. Oh yeah, of course she's in. Um, yeah. uh, Chris Evans. Oh, yeah. Who managed to survive that and has become much more successful other Marvel character. Mm. And Michael Chiklis. Yeah. As um, Mr. Pebbles. I would probably remember the record. I mean, obviously, I recognise the name Jessica Alba, but I am terrible at putting names to careers at times. Do you remember who Ewan Griffith was? No. Horatio Hornblower on TV. Oh, okay, yes. He didn't, didn't watch it. And to his credit, he has kept his com- overcomplicated Welsh name spelling, despite having a big Hollywood career. Oh, well. Annoying people all over America because they don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> but Fantastic Four is um, an odd duck in terms of movie franchises because it's a Marvel property that's not owned by Marvel. Mm. And it's the one that's not owned by Marvel that they don't know what to do with. Yeah. Because Spider-Man was hugely successful for Sony, but because they kept stumbling over how to relaunch it, they actually just threw up their hands and said, Marvel can have it back. (laughs) Well, then they struck a deal to to co-produce it. X-Men works very nicely for... Fox, wasn't it? Fox, yeah. yeah. And with the new Fantastic Four, the early intention was apparently that it would be in the same universe as the X-Men. Okay. So that there could be a a crossover Mm. with one of the sequels. But they have to keep making Fantastic Four movies to hold on to the rights. Does this mean that in another four years or so they'll have another go? Either that or someone will finally see sense and make a deal with Marvel. Yeah, quite possibly. Because X-Men movies are still... They're still churning them out and they're still Mm. popular. They're still successful. Yeah. Um, We've had Deadpool not too long ago that was the the highest grossing X-Men movie, even though the X-Men aren't in it. Right, yeah. Um, X-Men Apocalypse was... yeah. yeah. I quite hope that was good fun. I've uh, got Logan coming up, which I'm look, yeah. which looks very interesting. Um, they're going to have to find a new direction after that, though, because this, that's Hugh Jackman's last yeah, yeah. movie. But they have to keep making these Fantastic Four movies. They have to keep finding a way to get people to go and see them so that they're not just contractual obligation pictures. And so far, they have failed to do that. Yeah. The basic setup of the movie already is almost incomprehensible, I think. Because Reed Richards, boy genius, who looks about 30, is recruited along with his pal, who helps. Mm. He's like his eagle. He's got quite a chin on him, his pal. That's the main thing I remember watching the film, was thinking, wow, that guy's got quite a jaw. Um, What does Ben do? Ben is his best friend. And they've been friends since they were kids at school. Yeah. And his brother, he lives in a junkyard and his brother beats him up. Yes. While saying it's clobbering time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he does, doesn't he? Um, Because that's where you get your cat. You know, I I don't know. That's that's where the catchphrase has to come from. Yeah. The original, I mean, there was a bit in one of the trailers of Ben playing baseball. Yeah. yeah. Hitting a baseball and knocking out one of the letters in the neon sign over the junkyard. And I got the impression that that was supposed to figure in the story in some way that mm. Ben isn't—he's not a scientist—he's not, he's not a scientist, yeah. but he has—he excelled in other areas. See, I'm struggling to remember the comic strip because in the comic strip, Reed Richards invents a space rocket, and they all go off into space because it's the '60s and people were doing that yeah. kind of stuff all the time, and they all get done over by cosmic rays and I think in that Ben is the pilot so I think in the car yeah he's got a reason for being there whereas of course by the time you get to the Fantastic Four 2015 
He has to be there. He's just because there. there's somebody called Ben. Yeah, exactly. I think in one version of the script, apparently he was Reed's bodyguard, but that raises the question of why does he need a bodyguard? Yes. Yeah, who's... Yeah. When he's at some kind of brain box think tank. Yeah. Where, which is populated entirely by nerds. He's at Professor Storm's tower block for the gifted youngsters. <laughs> the Baxter Institute. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Which is some... It's like a university, maybe? It's never clear. I'm, I'm, I, there's, there's all kinds of points where I couldn't and, work and out. And Professor Storm himself recruits by hanging around high school science yes. fairs where they demonstrate... Um, teleportation. Reed demonstrates his teleportation gizmo, which the teacher... Played by The Simpsons' Dan Castellaneta. Oh, is that? Yeah, yeah. completely unimpressed by a machine that makes objects disappear. And the problem is, you can see the logic of it in terms of the script. Okay, there's a thing there, now it's gone. It's a conjuring trick. Except that this machine is... They've decided to put special effects all over it, so it's visibly generating weird lights and things. So it's obviously doing something... And it makes the glass backboard on the basketball hoop behind them shatter, so it... It's generating some sort of wave, yeah, it's even if do- it's just sonic wave to, yeah. to, to break the glass. The, the, even at this early stage, there's a mismatch between what the script wants you to think and what you're being shown on screen. If it had been less special effects, if it had just been this thing suddenly going, you could have accepted that people would have gone, well, that's just a trick. Go on, where, is it, where's the model? But because they feel the need to Hollywood it all up, there's just this mismatch and people are are denying the evidence of their own eyes. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. They haven't got the little toy car that they normally use. Hmm. Because that's weird, because he always has a little toy car to use as his experimental subject. So he takes a plane from the next booth along hmm. and sends that off, gets back to some rocks and then gets the plane back, gives it next to the kid, this broken yes. shell of the plane. And the kid says, hey, hey, you're a dick. Yeah. Which is- <laughs> well... Yeah, he is. Pretty much, yeah. So off they go to uh, Midvale School for the Gifted. Yeah. That's some of the early bits where they're like building, these young kids building scientific gizmos in their back garden. It made me think of things like Explorers or the Goonies. Yeah. Of, not sh- not really children's adventures, but those, those sorts of things, those sort of youngish, fun, light-hearted yeah. adventure stories from the 80s. And then you think about the tone of this movie... There's so much that doesn't fit together. Yeah, it's... And yes, oh yeah, yeah. Given that the movie was massively reshot, it maybe shouldn't be too surprising. Yeah, and and again, as you were saying with the trailer, it's sometimes for these podcasts I won't do any research because I just kind of want to talk about what I thought about. But in the case of the Fantastic Four, it comes with so much baggage that I did read around. And one of the things that, that people talk about is all the footage that's in the trailer that isn't subsequently in the film itself. So, yeah, I mean, and yes, they talk about the fact that there's there's reshoots and they talk about the fact that Sue Storm has a terrible wig. Now, because I wasn't paying that much attention, I missed the terrible wig. My wig dot is not what it could be. So a lot of the time it's been missing. It's when someone's hair seems to be a lot higher than it normally is, or if their forehead seems to have unnaturally expanded. Right. Like... Her name is on the tip of my tongue. What's up? What's the name of Ellen DeGeneres' wife? Oh, um, she's in Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones, isn't she? No, no, not Anne Hesch. Oh, Anne Hesch. Her wife. Oh, for sorry. Arrested Development. Because I'm thinking of Arrested Development. Yeah. What, the one that plays Michael Bluth's wife? No, she... No. 
His sister. Sorry, sister. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Wife, sister. Yeah. Well, in, well, in terms of rest of development, those two yeah. things are interchangeable. Portia de Rossi. Oh, okay. Um, yes, you can in, see the fact that I thought that she was still going out with Anne Hesh shows how well I'm up on celebrity gossip. Been married to Ellen for about ten years. Sorry, um, Ellen. No, in the the new series Arrested of Development, she's clearly wearing a wig oh, because okay. her forehead and her hairline look really odd. Ah. Uh, and I think it's just because she had. Had, normally has short hair and her character yeah. has long hair. So, and also in the new series of the X Files, Gillian Anderson is clearly wearing a wig. Yeah, I think actually that might have been and one that, that I picked up. Really on. strange. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, it was a, to do with her not wanting to dye her hair again. Mm. And they could just say, "Well, she's she's old." Scully has blonde hair now. Yeah. Okay. It's a mystery, and it's <laughs> it's a series that deals with mysteries. We can cope with the character changing hair color. Just have Mulder say, "Oh, change your hair color." Said, yeah, great. Well, well spotted, Mulder. Didn't say, always saying, oh, "I'm spotting giant spaceships." Nice to see that your powers of observation are yeah. up to snuff. I was very disappointed by the fact that the, the series new series started. They were, had broken up. Oh, I, I mean, because that... they were a couple in the second movie. They were a proper couple in everything. Yes, I Sleeping mean, in the same room. I think, in fact, the new series basically just pretends that the second movie didn't happen, doesn't it? Mind you, I know a few fans of the X Files that do the same thing, to be honest. Well, the second movie, did, the second movie basically undid all the change at the end of the <laughs> yeah. TV series. So, the series series ended with Mulder and Scully on the run, mm-hmm. and the second movie they said, "Oh no, you can come off the run now because we need you to investigate this boring mystery about nothing." And so it ended with them not being on the run and then not really... And then going... Oh no, it ended with them going off to the Caribbean for a holiday and then waving to the camera from a boat. I don't... I remember very little about the second x I I've watched it. It's not very good. <laughs> I just remember watching it and, and it was one of those films... Every now and again you get one... The, the, something that just has no apparent reason for existing. And I don't know if 20th Century Fox just got an endowment or something and they just oh we've got some extra money let's give it to Chris Carter I'd never never understood the logic of making that second film it's just a standalone story yeah it's it's, just and it's a really boring idea that doesn't make any sense I think whatever they do next with the X-Files they have to think very carefully about how they proceed yeah because the funny thing is there is going to be another series of the X-Files because Julian Anderson and David Duchovny want to do it yeah Chris Carter wants to do it Fox wanted to do it because the last batch of episodes they did were really popular. Yeah. But it's getting everyone together in the same room at once yeah. is really hard. Well, you wouldn't think Chris Carter would be too busy. But apart from that... He's busy developing lots of TV shows that I've picked up. <laughs> yes, that's true. Do you know he made a movie that has been released? No, I didn't. Well, actually, a proper, completed a, and post... A, a proper finished film that he wrote and directed about his youth in surfing culture in California. Which is a shitty... Sitting on a shelf somewhere. Uh, yeah, I'm just baffled. I mean, I know Hollywood is famous for doing weird stuff like that. I don't know. Sometimes they've got accounting reasons. I know ITV has some weird system whereby they don't put a TV program through their accounting system until it's been broadcast or something, which means they can literally make incredibly expensive programs and then sit on them forever because they, they don't cost anything I, somehow. I, I think that we may have mentioned that before regarding the new version of Maigret with. Oh, yeah, episode, yeah. Because one episode went out in the spring, episode two is going out on Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah. And episode one was deathly dull. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. Well. But, I mean, maybe it's the same with the Chris Carter surfing film. Maybe you can understand films getting stuck at the script stage, but the idea that you would just have a finished film and somebody just goes, yeah, stick it on the shelf, 
back there, <laughs> get our top people to yeah. archive it. The business reason for making movies is to make money, and if it's yeah. just sitting on a shelf, it's not going to be making money. Yeah. Unless, like Fantastic Four, you're saving it for a rainy day, because well, yeah. you want to hold on to this thing that might be valuable and not give it away. No, I suppose but that's The only true. way to hold on to it is to make a crappy, half-thought-out, botched-together mm. version that runs for barely 90 minutes when you take the credits off. Yeah. Just like this one. Well, yes. Had you seen uh, director Josh Trank's previous film, Chronicle? Yes. And I quite liked it. That's the one where it's all... Um, it's, a, it's, a it's, found all fo- it's a found footage superhero story, mm. but very realistic in terms of the actual story. Yeah. Um, they get their powers from some kind of magic meteor they find under the ground. And of the three of them, two of them are a little bit irresponsible, but the mm. other one is, appears to be downright evil. It's a film I've got quite good good memories of, actually, that I thought yeah, was good fun. It's a pretty decent movie. It's uh, the one good Max Landis film. I, <laughs> I do enjoy slagging off Max Landis. It's just so easy. Well, when you've got a large, slow-moving target, take a few pot shots at it. Exactly. I, uh, he's actually just done a series. Well, he's done several series, but I've only watched one. Uh, he was executive producer on Channel Zero, a new anthology series for the Sci-Fi Channel. Right where they took a really good online horror story called Candle Cove about a mysterious puppet show that was shown on children's TV. And this story is a, maybe takes five minutes to read. Right. And they turned it into a six-hour drama. Okay. <laughs> almost none of which had anything to do with the original story. Hey, that's Hollywood for you. Yeah. He's also done a TV version of Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Oh, yeah. Which think... looks nightmarish. Yeah, I, I'm i struggling to think, because he, he wrote the script for Chronicle, didn't he? He did, yes. And he did apparently do a script pitch for Fantastic Four. Okay. Which sounds totally different. Mm. To begin with, apparently they get their powers in the first ten minutes. Rather yeah. than more than halfway through the movie. Yes, well, yeah, that's, I'm sure we'll come to that a bit later. And he did actually uh, have a good idea for a third Ghostbusters movie. Okay, what was Which, that? the idea that Ghostbusters is now has uh, offices operating all over the, all over okay, the US, yeah. that the original Ghostbusters almost retired, there was a clever way of maybe having Bill Murray in it or not, depending on mm. how he felt. Uh, it acted more as a direct sequel to the original movie. It was actually quite well thought yeah. out, but it relied on it having the original cast yeah. and not being a a restart and to sort of say, that was a long time ago, we can't risk alienating a new audience yeah. and relying on just the older audience. Well, then it, I guess as well, you end up, the, the original cast then also have you over a battle because if they if you're relying on them to be in the film... Their agents are going to be seeing dollar signs everywhere. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, it was definitely Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis. Obviously, the death of Harold Ramis yeah. put a huge spanner on it, but you could have written around it. Mm. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with a lot of what Max Landis has written. It's just that a lot of it doesn't seem very good, and it's often unsuccessful. It's just that he seems to be a really obnoxious person, just, and he seems to be. Very ubiquitous as well. He he seems to be one of these people that pops up in a lot of places. I mean, he's he's popped up on Red Letter Media, hasn't he? I yes. Think he... He's been on a lot of podcasts and yeah. a lot of online videos. He's He engages very directly with online culture. And I feel that that risks 
it blurs the line. It blurs the line because it, it, I think it limits the ability then for those online critics to objectively yeah, yeah. Uh, examine his work because yeah. I find that a lot of his work is very substandard. Yeah. Well, it's always a problem. I mean, I like the How Did This Get Made podcast a lot, mm. but there's always a slight awkwardness whenever they then start to comment on people that they know or you get the feeling that the wheels start to go. There's one particular episode where they end up interviewing Vanilla Ice and it stops being a podcast and just kind of becomes a generic sort of chat show. And mm. they they talk about some program that Vanilla Ice is doing, that, that, that some DIY program. Yeah. And they're going on about what a great program it is. And you're thinking, really? Well, they also have said that they deliberately avoid doing any sort of modern comedies mm. because chances are they star someone they know exactly and they obviously don't want to tread on their anyone's toes yeah. oh yeah yeah and it's i mean it's just common sense but yeah. that's when you've got somebody like max landis that then wants to go back the other way yeah it it puts me in mind a little bit of um is it ain't it cool news where the guy that ran that seemed to get very much caught up in the whole thing of being invited to film premieres yeah, and he uh, really he really loved being that being courted that position, didn't yeah. he yeah and i don't know at some point I guess objective. It gets difficult to be objective more than anything. And um, Victor Frankenstein would be terrible movie. Yeah, but Max would be so disappointed if he said that to his face. It turns out that Igor wasn't actually a hunchback, but it was just a really big spot. Okay, what do they lance it with a heated pen or something? No, he um, he has all the, he has like the with uh, one of those cow syringes. Oh, he gets all the the pus syringed right. out. And this went, is this is a. Sp- and this is in a real movie. Right. <laughs> wow. That's a big, that's a lot of clearer stuff. It's, it's a Frankenstein movie that ends with them creating the monster. Well, of course, yeah. So, Got to save something for the sequel. <laughs> well, as, as we well know, you never assume you're going to get a sequel. And Victor Frankenstein won't, because literally no one saw it. <laughs> Don't release a horror movie at Thanksgiving. People get enough horror at home having, <laughs> yes, having yeah. to talk to their terrible relatives. And I can say that because I've never had Thanksgiving and all my relatives are great. Yes, yeah. Um, now, there's a time skip. Mm. There are a lot of time skips all the way through this movie. We go from them working together as kids, then suddenly, seven years later, yeah. they're working on the their, their working version and now they're all middle-aged high schoolers. Yeah. And then halfway through the movie, there's another time skip of a year. Yeah. And it's like, they might as well say scene missing. Yeah, yeah. Insert money, yeah. <laughs> Insert coin to continue yeah. moving. Yeah. Um, like those things they have in bus stations in America and yeah. put money in. Um, because there's other scenes like there's the thing uh, like in the military oh, yeah, on yeah. a plane and falling yeah. on That's something. in the trailer yeah. again. And, and that's, that's a big action scene that was cut. But, yeah, but was apparently also complete. I mean, because it's a big action special effects sequence. You think that would have been expensive. They should come yeah, from the script. Exactly. Not yeah, from the yeah. Finished movie. Yeah. No, it's, it's a short film. That's what surprised me. Am I right in thinking it's one hour forty? Or is I, it? Shorter? I timed it, and it's under ninety minutes once you take the credits off. It's, oh, okay. It must be less. Yeah. And I was, I was genuinely surprised because it kind of potters along, and it's, it's nice enough. But you, you're sort of checking your watch, going, well, they're taking a while to get yeah, it's Fantastic like, it's Four like 50 up. minutes in, and they're only just now figuring out their powers. Yeah. 
movie's over in half. And that was that. Yeah, that was what surprised me. It really feels to me like the extended pilot of a TV show. That's exactly what I, I was watching it, thinking this is. It's got the pacing of a TV series. If you did Fantastic Four, the TV series, you have the episode where they're at school, the episode where they go to the Baxter Building, the episode, you know, and you can see it working. Well, no, I mean, this is this is this is their origin story, yeah. and it feels like all right. This is the starting point for their adventures, mm. but because it's so oddly paced, I feel like the halfway point is where they get or blasted with whatever it is. Yeah, the. Sp- Space with, with the space snot. And I think, yeah, that's the point where they think when this is shown overseas, that's why they split the episode in half. Yes. Because yeah. they don't have a two hour slot. Yeah, to be continued, yeah. Yeah. But it's it's just that there's so much cut from the movie. It is very, very but, odd. But, but unlike the Avengers, it's not interesting enough to want to see an uncut version. <laughs> well, no, it's is... not weird. the weird thing it's is a lot of it is weird. Like the tone of the whole their transformations, mm. it's very horror movie. It's very David Cronenberg. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's interesting because that's not something you've seen before in a mainstream superhero movie. That Reed is suddenly able to stretch his arms and legs. That his, he looks down and his legs, like his foot's halfway across the room. There's one particular shot. I think it's when they're in the secret military base and he's all stretched out and he kind of contracts his arm and his arm moves like a snake. And it looks dis- it really looks a bit gross. It's it's yeah. very very well, and it, and it's this thing of suddenly going, yeah, I suppose it's that thing of not having thought about it because why would you? But you think actually it would look really weird and unpleasant, and and that's that's good. But yeah, the tone is odd, mm. and because he sees shots, he sees a shot of Johnny Storm, and Johnny Storm is all well, is obviously on fire. But there's the suits melting, I think, and there's so there's bits of melting plastic, and it again it looks it looks like he's it looks, it looks like, like a he's, burning corpse. Exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah, very odd. So it's a valid avenue. It's mm. like it's, this is a way of saying we're we're going to do it differently. This is this is an idea that we've had. It's not a commercial way of no. doing it. You can't do that on like a hundred and eighty million dollar movie and expect it to be a smash hit because they're going to have children running out of it screaming oh, yeah. at the burning corpse. Yes. <laughs> and when Doctor Doom finally appears at the end, the terrifying scanner creature. Yes. Because that's lifted straight out of David Cronenberg. Mm. It just makes people's brains explode with his mind. And the funny thing as well is that if they'd gone down the route of, I'm no, I'm, I'm. I'm no real expert on the Fantastic Four, but I think Doctor Doom is more of a magician. In he's a scientist, but he also uses magic. I think this is possibly the point when you can hear the sound of people turning off their podcasts in disgust. <laughs> no, wait, come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, anyway, in my head, Doctor Doom occasionally uses magic. He's a bit like I think he's like that kind like of magic, Cthulhu, mythosy sort of black magic kind of stuff. The tone of that would make sense with the burning corpse shots and Reed Richards as some kind of existential horror. Mm. You can see all that, but as it is in the the film of Doctor Doom as some weird alien techno villain, it doesn't quite Well, he's set up originally as a as a blogger. Yes. It's like well, an that's... online blogging type. And in the original cut of the movie he had a different last name. Oh this one In a this... way that actually I think makes more sense if you're going to do it rounded and serious, his name is Domanchev. Right. Or something something, yeah. something like that. 
which means that later on when Sue, when he's saying, oh, you know, uh, if the military get hold of this, they'll just use it for the CIA, or use it as a black ops prison or something. Yeah. And Sue says, oh, listen to Dr. Doom over here. Yeah, exactly. And look, his name's Dumanchev. I thought, oh, yeah, because that would make sense as a nickname. But no, mm. his name is Von Doom. Literally, yes. So it's like, huh, listen to Chris over here. Yes, yeah. because he is speaking. I mean, it's, mm. and I mean, that's one of the scenes where she's wearing a wig. Oh, okay. And actually, well. no, no, it makes sense if it, if it wasn't. But they've, they've then just left that in from the original cut yeah. because it doesn't make any sense. Did you think that there was a love triangle that's supposed to be there between Victor, Reed, and Sue? Uh, sort of. I mean, it's not so much a... But, I mean, it Vic, feels... Victor is definitely meant to be in love with Sue. Yeah. Um, and obviously, again, I know from from the other films and things that, that Sue and... Sue and, and Sue and Reed become a couple and yeah. they have children later on. And then but no, the, I mean, the there's not really... In, I'm struggling in this film to think whether there's any particular sign of the relationship between Sue and Reed. I don't well, they have that kind of dull meet-cute a... when they're talking about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which then comes back later on where Reed is using Nemo as some kind of uh, online alias that, where he's running around. That's that terrible bit in the library, isn't it? Where he walks into the library and pulls half a dozen books off the shelf and then... To show how clever he is. Yeah, yeah. And then goes up to him and goes, oh, have you seen this? It's a book. And it's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, using 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea as a meet cute only makes me think of Back to the Future Part 3, which did that so perfectly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They have that shared love of yeah. fantasy and then Doc says oh I loved reading it when I was a boy he says what are you talking about that came out five years ago oh yeah. I felt like a boy I mean <laughs> that sounds worse <laughs> <laughs> but here it's just oh here's a book mm. yes it is yeah and it's the dullest I mean maybe it's meant to be maybe okay. maybe it doesn't come over on screen maybe it's meant to highlight Reed's social awkwardness apparently the actors were under instruction to keep their performances as flat as possible Fair enough. Well, they succeeded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Had you seen any of the main cast and anything else? I mean, Jamie Bell as Ben Grimm, a.k.a. The Thing, probably the biggest name in the cast, weirdly, given that he's in it the least. Billy Elliot? He's Billy Elliot. Hell's take. Sorry, yeah, I hadn't hadn't put that one together. No, the guy that plays... Uh, Johnny Storm is in Chronicle, I think, isn't he? Yes, and apparently that's the main reason he was cast because yeah. he and Trank had worked well together. Yeah. Michael B. Jordan, and he also uh, was in Creed. He was the, effectively the lead in Creed. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen Creed, uh, but... and um, he was—I think he was cast in that before this came out because he doesn't think it would have been cast in <laughs> the office. But he's very good in that, and he demonstrates that um, this is a this is a blip. Hmm. Oh yeah, no, I think they've done. They've all done great work in other yeah. things, but they were also all worried about the impact it was going to have on their careers. No, not Toby so. Kebbell in particular, because he's done two massive flops in consecutive summers. He plays Doctor Doom. He was in this, and the following year he was in the remake of Ben Hur as Masala. Yeah, I mean that's hard, not his fault, but yeah, no. that's unfortunate. Well. He was the one who assumed that the world was crying out for a reimagining of Ben Hur. And given that his character in the Planet of the Apes movies has been killed off, he doesn't have that in his back pocket anymore. Mm. Oh, well, I'm sure we'll bounce back. Maybe he I can be so. in. Uh. I mean, he's a really good actor. I, I'm sure that he will land on his feet. Yeah. I, I first saw him in 
uh, Dead Man's Shoes, the Shane Meadows film, oh, right. where he plays a developmentally disabled man. And I didn't realise that he wasn't developmentally disabled yeah. because his performance is so convincing but just completely natural. And yeah, yeah. Kate, Kate called, nearly called her Kate O'Mara. <laughs> yes, that's a difference. No, that's somebody else. Kate Mara is in uh, the American version of House of Cards. Yeah, I haven't, haven't seen it. But... She plays the Maddie character. The, the young journalist, I think she's been killed off by now, but she seems to be doing okay. And she's also made a lot of jokes in public about being in this movie. <laughs> and Miles Teller, of course, straight away did Whiplash, which is a terrific movie. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. Cemented. You've seen Whiplash? I have, yeah. I've seen Whiplash. Excellent, you've seen I've, a, I've seen a you've film. You've seen a film. You've done a watch. Yes. Um, it was good. Man hit drum good. Yes, man hit drum hard. <laughs> yeah. The car- Also, Tim Blake Nelson is here as well, as this character Harvey, and he's supposed to be Harvey Elder, who winds up in the, oh, in, in the, the... Fantastic Four mythos. He becomes another of their supervillains. He's Mole the Man. guy that's like the head of the backstory, or he's one he's of like, the heads. He's like of... the head of the money men. Or something, but then he turns up in the army base, and I was he, he was kind of one of those people that I wasn't quite sure what his position was on the orc chart, basically, because... He seems to be at the Baxter Institute. Oh, and now he's also working for the army or something. Or well, working with the army. Well, I think the Baxter Institute is supposed to be working with the army. So mm. any, anything that they sort of turn up that the army might find useful, yeah. the army will pinch. Which kind of gives credence to um, Victor's concerns that anything that they find through this interdimensional travel yes. gizmo will be used by NASA yeah. or the CIA. Those two aren't really interchangeable. No. Unless they've misread the script and it says the NSA. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, maybe it said NSA and everyone just kept mispronouncing it. Because uh, having developed this fully working interdimensional portal yeah. relatively quickly, they decide to get drunk on the grounds that it's the astronauts people remember and not the engineers, yeah. which ignores that engineers were often astronauts. And it ignores the fact that the Apollo program was different... And also, you could argue that the Apollo program was the vision of Werner von Braun. And there you go. I've I've remembered the I've remembered a non-astronaut. Uh, <laughs> so in your face, fantastic for in your face, Doctor um, Doom. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell. He'll be furious. Um, he doesn't have a face anymore. No, that's true. I quite liked that they're set up as a bunch of kids, and there was all this point that, that I'm watching it thinking they're all awfully young and good looking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But then the one thing I did kind of like was the fact that they just get drunk and make a really stupid decision. I actually kind of quite like that. That's the thought that bit that I thought was stupid though, because it just seemed like the flimsiest excuse to have them do this that they get drunk so decide to travel through an interdimensional portal. It's very hard to justify again. In terms of the reality of the the reality of the project that's been set up, because there's like hundreds of people in that where wherever they are, that it's, that it's a it's a skyscraper that's also a warehouse. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's the where they're in the warehouse outside the back of the Baxter Building, and there's hundreds of people, except when they decide to go on their drunk drive. Well, it's the middle of the night. Yeah, but then suddenly a project that requires all these people can be controlled by by just by so, just the and, just them, yeah. And um, Reed rings up Ben yes, and yes. says, "Hey, remember that? Remember that thing we built? We used to build. Well, come and see what we've done." Yeah. The only, I mean, he had to have been drunk to make that call. Yeah. He drunk Darlson in the middle of the night. Yeah. 
it's almost like saying, hey, come over and see what we've done. And then they're going to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point where it stretches. I think if they'd somehow had a reason for him being there, yeah. and then they're all drunk, and they all just pile into their space-time machine and fly off to the planet of slime. But it's the fact that they have to kind of telephone somebody and then soon missing, as they all sit around going, well, his cab should have been here by now. I mean, it's really going from, presumably there's another scene when they have to explain to him about the machine. And and that's, I think it's that maybe more than just the idea that they all get drunk and decide to go on a joyride that mm. breaks the reality of it. There has to be a reason, I think, for Ben to actually be at the Baxter Institute yeah, anyway. Already, that, yeah. And for him to not be a scientist then, if he's the non-science guy. In fact, thinking about it, the way to get round it is they call him up, Reed calls him up after the successful test and goes, oh, we're, we're going to celebrate. Yeah, that's, yeah, and then he, that's and, simple. And then Ben is there. And then Ben's there to say, oh, oh, well done. Oh, yeah. I, I remember when I was starting out on this and then you yeah. oh, you finished it and well done. Yeah, and he can then plant the seed, but he can do, the, oh, it's going to be great. You're going to get all this. You'll get all this You'll fame all and glory. people will glow. And then Doom comes in and says, no, you won't. What about the Apollo program? Blah, blah, blah. You know, if we can do these kinds of rewrites between us in you know an afternoon after a couple of bottles of Pepsi Max, yes, yeah. it shouldn't be beyond the skills of millionaire Hollywood screenwriters. I'm always a like bit... Simon Kinberg, whoever he is. I'm always a bit... I, mean, I know who Simon Kinberg is, by the way. That's okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm very I'm impressed. Listen, well done. Listener, I'm not sneering. I'm just... Yeah, I'm no, just no. Amusing. Um, I'm always a bit cautious about sort of Monday morning quarterbacking, where you watch something and go, well, actually, you, you fix this, you fix this, you fix this. But there is that sense that, yeah, in the space of a 30-second conversation, we've come up with a better reason. Mm. And I don't know, maybe that reflects the condition that the film conditions that the film was made under or the, the way it was script maybe because it was just a kind of last ditch script somebody just went up oh, it doesn't matter you know we just just just, we just just finish the film on time yeah. so that it's released before the copyright expires mm. yeah and maybe that's and, it and i'll talk later about why this isn't the first time the fantastic four have had that happen well yeah and also the absolute car crash that was the production of this film hmm. and i do mean car crash Oh, yeah. um, they had so many people working on the script. Yeah. Every, everyone was seen, seemed to be having a bit of rewriting it. Um, with the reshoots, apparently Matthew Vaughan was heavily involved, and I think by extension Jane Goldman, his usual right. co-writer. No relation to William. So you know, there, there are enough people. They must have just all been pulling in different directions rather than working together. So yeah. we've got this thing. It's broken. We yeah. need to work together to fix it. Like astronauts did with Apollo 13. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but maybe that's the other problem, is maybe when you've just got a to-do list. I suppose the problem is not seeing the original print. You don't know how broken the original film was. But it's possible that they fixed everything they could. You know, this might be the the best possible vision. It, they may have just run out of time, or they might... You know, mm. it, it is odd that... That's definitely the weak point. And that's the one bit that when audiences see the film or when reviewers talk about it, that's the bit they're going to make fun of. And all the characters just get drunk and steal the test. And you think that's such a a key point for critics to pick up on. That, yeah, just smooth it out as much as possible. Yeah. There's no one seemingly on the outside. of the I mean, Going into the whole production thing, because 
20th Century Fox had gained a reputation for micromanaging major projects. Mm. They did decide that they were going to take more of a back seat on this. Oh. They just give Josh Trank his head. Having seen how well Chronicle turned out, and mm. it was a relatively cheap movie that made a lot of money and got very good reviews, they'd say, well, let's let him do it. Yeah. And the result was a total lack of discipline. Supposedly, please don't sue us, we don't have any money. Trank would show up drunk and high. He would isolate himself in the video village where he's got the monitors inside, mm. a, inside a tent on his own. Oh, wow. He would yell at the actors. He wrecked the house he was renting, yeah. got in a lawsuit with the landlord, and got to the point where he was defacing family photos of the landlord that were in the house. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, um, but yeah, there's no need he for just, that. It's like a protracted suicide. Mode. Yeah, I mean, you do wonder if it's just the point of somebody who just realises that this is their big chance and it's all, they can see it going wrong and they don't know how to fix it. Yeah, I don't know. It's fascinating. But there never seems it? to have been a point where he understood what he was doing or right. was behaving appropriately. Mm. If you're being given this amount of trust, you have to return it. Yes. You have to make that worthwhile by creating something that is workable. Because if he's if they're giving him, if they have the confidence in him to let him to do his version of the movie, mm. and it's going to be some kind of weird David Cronenberg thing, then maybe you shouldn't have hired him in the first place. No, well that's always the point, isn't it? I mean, that, and that's something that increasingly is happening with a lot of these films is that they're picking somebody that's made one or two quirky little independent films, and then they're suddenly putting them in charge of these multi hundreds of millions of yeah. dollar uh, beer moths. and. Yeah, for every, I mean, for every Gareth Roberts, Gareth Roberts, that's somebody else, hmm. for every Gareth Edwards, there's a Josh Trank, Gareth Edwards went from doing monsters, micro-budget movie, hmm. largely improvised, and then was handed Godzilla, which cost $200 million, yeah. and he made it work, and now he's doing a Star Wars movie. Trank's next film after this was going to be a Star Wars spin-off. Oh, that's right, and it, but this got him fired from And this got, he, he was separated from his job. Hmm. Um, in fact, he was fired so early during the making of Fantastic Four that they hadn't finished filming the movie. Oh, well, oh I didn't, the, didn't know the, that. The ending did not exist until oh. they actually reshot it. They had to reshoot yeah, yeah, it, okay. getting on for a third of the movie, and had to shoot a completely new ending from scratch. Oh, interesting. Which is why the ending is so generic and small. Yeah. Because it's five people standing around on a set. Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty much five people looking at a green screen, isn't it? I think, and a requisite space laser because you have space lasers and all these. Yeah, yeah. That well, that's again. It's not not a remotely original observation, is it? But yeah, this is another film that ends with somebody firing a blue laser into the sky. Yeah, and like I said about um, Doctor Strange, I think before we started recording, yeah, that there does have the space laser bit, but the actual resolution of the story mm. is in terms of dialogue and yeah. in terms of confrontation without violence, yeah. which is very clever yeah, and very yeah. interesting and very original. Well, it's well, saying it's original. It's actually not, but it's become such a cliche just for it to be a big fight yeah. that it feels fresh for it to not do that. And here, they have the space. It's just adheres to all the boring yeah. steps. And you've got this weird mismatch between a film that's trying to go off and be all body horror but and then at the same time hits all the beats of a traditional superhero origin story, but then hits them at the wrong pace so that it's 50 minutes yeah. into the film and yeah so they, they go to the portal they wander around planet zero um, they find a big lake of snot yeah. which uh, Victor decides to shove his hand yes, into yeah. because that's clearly a good idea of course why well, he's plastered yeah I suppose 
and that maybe that's where maybe that again is where if the director's instruction to the actors was flatten out your characters maybe that's a, a mistake mm. because I'd forgotten at that point that they're meant to be drunk and maybe if they were a bit more that they were they've been given all this false bravado because they're still all boozed up yeah it might because there's a point when they start climbing down there's a cliff and it's at, it's shot in such a way that the cliff seems to go down for miles and they all oh, let's climb down this cliff and I'm watching it going this, that's, that's not a good idea You've got a tank. How long is it going to take you to get to the bottom? How much air is in your tanks? Yeah. Um, but if they were more obviously drunk, you might be more inclined to go along with it. But yeah, Doctor Doom. Because of course, what's this weird space mucus? Oh, well, let's get it all over me. I smear it all over myself. Yeah. And then it starts exploding. And they, 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 they yeah. climb back up the cliff. Except uh, Doom doesn't. He falls in. Yes. Ah, now I've just realised something. Now Reed is trying to stop him and he's trying to reach out to yeah. get him, but he can't grab him and, and Doom falls. That's why he becomes all stretchy, because Possibly. he couldn't stretch to reach him. All the others make sense, because they climb back in the, in the, yeah. the portal machine, and uh, Ben gets pelted with rocks, yes. John... Johnny gets roasted, yes. and Sue, who's at the other end, when the, when the thing comes back again, it causes a, a blast yeah. of light or something. That gives her her invisibility and yeah. force field powers. So that's why Ben was covered in rocks, so he becomes rocks. Yeah. Uh, Johnny becomes fire, and because he couldn't stretch, stretch. Okay, to that save his life, yeah, that's why yeah. he becomes stretchy. Yeah, I kind of hadn't. I'd, I'd kind of picked up on the. Well, it's picked up on. It's not subtle, but yes, Ben gets rocks in the face. Johnny's on fire. I kind of hadn't. Yeah, that makes that does make sense. As much as anything in this. <laughs> that they needed to put more on that then. Mm. Because I feel that, that that the connection between those two isn't enough. No. But yeah, they they come back and they're all very ill. Mm. Ben is now a rockery yes. with a voice coming out of the middle, and his voice sounds the same. And yeah. that's what's so weird is that he's a giant rock monster who still sounds the same. He doesn't have a deep voice. No. No. Which, and again, it's trying to avoid the cliches, but then that doesn't work. So sort of steering back towards them. Mm. I suppose the other problem as well is if you've you've gone out of your way to hire a specific actor, you want them to sound you know, you want you don't want to suddenly get James Earl Jones in to do the second half of the film or yeah. the last fifteen minutes of the film in this <laughs> case. Yeah, I I just I don't understand why they why Jamie Bell was deemed to be the right choice because with Michael Chiklis he's a big guy mm. and when he becomes the uh, the thing He's wearing a suit, whereas in this version, um, the thing is CGI. Yeah. And occasionally he keeps changing size because they can't remember how, what he's yeah, supposed what to look like. So I don't know what it was about Jamie Bell that made him seem the right person, because he's not a big guy. No. I mean, he's certainly a lot beefier than he he's used to be. He's been working out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's an odd fit. Yeah. I don't know. It was Chronicle... As well as being a found footage from, is it improvised or? No, I believe it was fully scripted. It was, scripted. I mean, it was written by Max Landis. Yeah, so. <laughs> but because what, what I was thinking was maybe if you specifically went for four actors because you think, well, okay, maybe we're going to improvise the script or we're going to work on it more. But yeah, oh, I see. as much as anybody, he he turns in a creditable performance given the limitations. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, but anybody could anybody. Woody Allen couldn't have done that part, but you know what I mean. Anybody get. Somebody big and bulky, yeah. It's mm. not, yeah. It's because fine. then it, it emphasises the fact that their their powers are coming from 
themselves. Yes. Because yeah. when Johnny is introduced, he's very much a showboat. He's in yeah. a car race. So, of course, he gets the ability to fly so he can yeah. show off. Sue is much sort of more quiet and, and more introspective so she can turn herself invisible. Yeah. Reed is always trying to do stuff so yeah. he can stretch all over the place. And Ben is also there. Yes. Yeah. Hello, says Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, says Rockery Man. Yeah. Um, and then Reed escapes... And then the film jumps forward a year. And that's... Scene missing. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, basically. And again, this is where it, it reminded me, it was like watching a 10-episode TV series that had been edited together. Uh, yeah. You can kind of see that thing that, well, these are the three episodes where Reed isn't around or something like that. But in the absence of anything else to do, this was the point when I started worrying about whether they were being paid. For, because Ben is going out and like fighting and destroying tanks and is he getting? Are the army paying him for this? Yeah, I just I hope everyone was getting a salary, basically. Well, presumably their salary was not being chopped up. I suppose that's true. Not being dissected. Yeah, them getting used to their powers. Mm. That's the interesting bit. Yes, as you as you say, it's it's like a compilation of five hours of television. Yeah, because you've cut out the the drama in order to get to the next mm. action scene. But that's uh, yeah, and and that's always the point. That that's always. Again, not an original thing to say, but the fun bit of these origin films is always watching the characters learn to use their powers. And we I, we don't really get... Oh, it's glossed over very quickly. And also because they're in some secret army base in the middle of nowhere, it just feels more like watching a bunch of soldiers being trained than a bunch of people learning to be superheroes. I don't know. Hmm. It's it's They're not being heroic. No. They're just being... Monsters, kind of, yeah. Reed escapes, and then a year later he comes back again. Yes, effectively, <laughs> he's, he's been he's, living he's in ca- South America. He's been living, they do have the the bit that I liked where he uh, he's introduced having stretched his face. Mm. So he, I think he's played by John Bernthal, who plays uh, the Punisher for Marvel. Oh. Weirdly enough, it looks very much like him because he's he looks like him enough. Yeah, and then when he gets in the car, he just goes. Yeah, and, and his I, face goes back to normal again. I quite, I thought that was a clever idea that bit, that just the idea that he's disguised himself because he can stretch his face. Yeah, yeah, it's things like that's the simple ideas mm. that that's the thing you need to focus on. And then you get a very, I guess it's it's meant to be funny the sequence where they send the troops out to capture Raid and he fights off all the soldiers and then Ben just headbutts it, but it kind of doesn't doesn't work no but they take him back and then um ben hates him for abandoning him yes and that gets forgotten about very good yes very uh, and sue is sort of just there yeah. sue is also there yeah yeah, every, yeah and johnny in fairness johnny is pleased to see him and yeah. hugs him hello yeah and that's nice isn't there a bit that's in the trailer but not in the movie where they're drunk before they go out on their joyride and Sue asks them if they're okay to do this. And Johnny says, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And then, low, starts, playing, and then, and yeah. then starts playing with the, the seat I that he's sitting I thought that on. was in the film, but I'm not sure. I'm now not sure. I, because that's something I read over the trailer. I think, oh, a little bit, little bit of humour in there. Not, yeah. not the, the wacky, zany stuff like the, the Jessica Alba movies. Mm. But yeah, and again, you're back to the same thing that it's, it's just emphasising that they're not in the right state yeah, of that mind. They, I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if there was some kind of nod to... Like, when the, the soldiers come back, they've built another quantum mm. gate, and they send some soldiers out, 
and they think, well, the reason that their soldiers don't get superpowers when they come back is because they didn't have enough not, alcohol in yeah. their systems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they weren't drunk. Although Sue hadn't been drinking. No, no. And neither had Ben, actually, so... But they should have been. It would have made more sense that way. Yeah. Don't drink and drive. Yeah. Don't yeah, drink and absolutely. drive to another dimension. Particularly not to another dimension. But when they get to Planet Zero, there's a life form there, and it's Doctor Doom, who's found himself a natty-looking cape, mm. and who's been alive for a year, and whose suit has melted to his body, and also he's gone crazy. Yes. And yeah. he's a crazy monster now. Yeah, because... Yeah. Because the, the movie's running out of time. Yeah, because... We've got half an hour until last orders. So we've got to finish this movie. Yeah, we're on, we're on the clock here, people, yeah. And yeah, and the film just takes another odd... And then Doctor Doom comes back and starts making everyone's heads explode. And it turns into an R-rated superhero movie. Mm. Very close to the end. People complained about Doctor Doom. That people said they looked, he looked like uh, his clothes were made out of um, rubbish bags. And that he was just non-threatening. I think he's actually very... I think he's a good villain. Oh, yeah, in that, yeah. In that tiny amount that we see mm. him, he's completely... Well, not crazy, because he's rational enough in what he's thinking. Because he talks earlier about wanting to uh, protect the Earth from malign influences. Yeah. And now he wants to protect Planet Zero from... Yeah. Industrialization, yeah, and, CIA and you and all can that. kind of see so his... he's going to destroy the world. Yeah, because that's the because he knows that people are just going to keep coming back. Yeah. So the only way to, if he wants to isolate himself, yeah. That's... So he's going from a rational starting point to an insane conclusion, yeah. and that progression makes sense. And he's going around killing people horribly by just looking at them and making their mm. brains explode, which yes. is great. And he looks terrifying with that weird mm. melted-on mask. The suit is melted onto his body, which is a horrifying idea, mm. and his eyes glow green. Yeah, you can't quite tell what's what's happened to him. It's just as you say, you, the, well, he just looks wrong. But, but that's you don't need to know what's happened to him. You just know it's horrible. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And whatever he says about the planet keeping him alive, it obviously hasn't been a particularly nice experience for him. No. That year, because he can't eat or drink anything through his yeah. through his non mouth. The shots of him sort of exploding people's heads and things are nicely got I mean they're inappropriate for the film but they work they kind of reminded me a little bit of Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen oh yeah where he makes people blow up in a very unpleasant way except uh, the only thing that's different in this film of course is that, that in Watchmen Manhattan is meant to be a hero and there's nothing particularly heroic about the way that well the other thing about, about Dr. Manhattan I always thought is that he's this is what Superman would be like in the real world. He mm. is so powerful that he's beyond any notions of human yeah. morality now. Yeah, yeah. So he can do that to someone. He can just dissolve someone instantly into their composite particles. And he doesn't even regard them as a person mm. because... Well, actually, and, and it, it, it kind of fits as well with, I think, Manhattan is given a line at some point, isn't he, about asking what the... the Quest, what the difference is between the atoms in a dead body and a live body and he says from his perspective there's no difference so when he's blowing all those people up in Vietnam all he's really doing is just reordering their atoms <laughs> redistributing them yeah. over a wide area exactly whereas I suppose when it's being done by somebody that's a villain it's well it's less morally ambiguous <laughs> for starters but it's it's a nice effect and of course poor Professor Storm gets done over as well yes although he lasts long enough to give a speech, doesn't he? Whereas I think everybody else usually just dies straight away. Harvey cops it as well. I can't know. You could be right, actually. Making this the second 
false start superhero movie that's featured Tim Blake Nelson. Oh, because he's also in The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton. Oh, okay. Where at the end he's set up to become um, another supervillain because he gets some magic goo dripping into a wound and his head starts expanding. Oh, that... Yeah. It's an underrated movie, The Incredible Hulk. I liked it. I think it's been a while since I've seen it, but I think the second one... Don't worry, it's on about five times Oh, yeah, I'm I'm sure I'll catch it. Listen, we're recording this in December. Um, so the Christmas Radio Times has been attacked thoroughly with my highlighter. <laughs> but yeah, The Incredible Hulk is on about five times right. over Christmas. I'm sure I'll catch it by, by osmosis. Then, <laughs> so there's an emergency going on, mm. and uh, the team decide that they have to be stronger together than they are alone, and they have to yeah. work together to defeat uh, Crazy Victor. And then they go through the portal and they fight. Oh, and, and, they, a... and they try taking him on individually, and he defeats them. So they take him on all together. And then he loses. But there's also, there's a black hole, because this is the point when it's revealed that there's a major six-lane freeway that runs right next to the top-secret army base that in all other establishing shots has apparently been in Alaska or somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And then suddenly, because they need an exciting shot of people running in fear... Oh, look, there's a bypass. That's the the secret army base bypass. (laughs) Yeah, it's the, you know, the one that goes around Area 51. Exactly, yeah. go straight through, obviously. No, that's true. The aliens would keep getting out. Um, they get very upset about all the noise. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's a fight, isn't it? It's just it's just a punch up. I don't think they... They don't particularly use their powers in any great way to... Uh, you I look am. so dejected and so miserable. <laughs> you just kind of think, it's okay, Chris. I'm here for you. Yeah, it's more than the Fantastic Four were. But <laughs> I get, we were talking before we started recording about the Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, and yeah. the fact that I really like the end of that film because they have the whole scene where they evacuate the city and they take the trouble to make sure that there were no civilian casualties. And it's heroes being properly heroic and, you know, doing... They're, they're, sa- they're saving They're people. saving lives, yeah. yeah. As opposed to in the Superman films where Superman wanders around, I don't know, blowing up buildings for kicks or whatever it is. Punching children. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, throwing ice cream vans. Trampling on their toys, um, marrying Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Jimmy Olsen to a giant gorilla. Oh, ma- yeah, yeah. Dressed as a Red Indian, which is an, an actual cover from one of the Superman comics. Oh, yeah, some of those are wonderful. Or uh, setting fire to a dressing gown that Jimmy gave him as a present. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... I think one of those, the, the one of my favourite ones, is not actually Superman being cruel to Jimmy Olsen. It's one where it's just saying, like, you'll be amazed. By it. It's like click, it's like 1958 clickbait. It's just like, like, you'll be amazed at Superman's new powers. And he's, like, firing rainbows out of his fingers. Oh, we can um, make people gay now. That's well, brilliant. it turns out, actually, from memory, and again, this is potentially very, very wrong, but from memory, I believe he's controlling a tiny miniature version of himself with rainbows or something. It's completely nuts. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you're remembering that correctly because that's the kind of insane gibberish that they kept putting yeah, in. They were just either that or everyone, this week everyone's gorillas again or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I was going. That's, so- that's the plot of our next series of Red Dwarf, I think. Yeah, that's true. I was going somewhere with this. Oh, yeah. It's just the fact that they just they just fight. Yeah. You know, I guess it's, it's a casualty of reshoots and it's a casualty, apparently, of the director being fired before anybody's had remembered to film the ending. But you just want to go, really? Yeah. There's a bit where someone's appealing to Victor 
Uh, so look, look, you know, look, look in your heart, uh, and say, oh, there is no victor, only doom. Yeah, that's just your name. Mm. Yeah, that's still your name. Yeah. <laughs> also, Ghostbusters are on the phone, and they want their dialogue back. Oh yes, yeah, that's true. And it's fine. It's that it, everyone stands there and looks at a bit of green screen, and the film stops. And yeah, and they fight. They get to trot out the whole thing about. It being clobbering time now. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Ben manages to make good use of his abusive childhood. Yeah, see, that never makes sense. With the reference to him playing baseball, I thought, wouldn't it have been, wouldn't it have made more sense if he'd been like a local, like now that he's an adult, he's Mm. he's a a sportsman. He plays baseball, he's in the local team or what have you. And as he steps out up to the plate, his like his big catchphrase is ah oh, come on mm. it's, it's clobbering it's, exactly, time yeah and so that then comes back at the end where it's now is the time where he's going to really hit some balls mm. and equally then he could have pitched an enormous chunk of rock at, or something or, or use like a giant stalactite to hit yeah. it straight into the black hole ray yeah something like that I mean just something so that anything in this movie connects to it anything mm. else yeah. Basically. This is why filmmaking by committee doesn't normally work. <laughs> yes. Because that's... when you have 20 people writing and directing one movie, it tends not to make sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Victor gets thrown into the magic laser. And, Thing. And he dies. He's pulled into little bits. Yes. The gang escape back to the real world. Where there's now a big hole where the base used to be. Yeah. And, and a few su- survivors from the, from the freeway. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, never mind. And then they blackmail the government into giving them whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, and that's an odd little sequence as well, because they just kind of turn up somewhere, and the government just goes, this is yours now. Yeah. And it's okay. Central City, which I imagine is some reference to the comics. I guess, yeah. don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not that familiar with it. And they look over the, the uh, whole area, and they're trying to think of a name for themselves, because they need to have a name for some reason. Mm. As well, whatever it is, whatever we've been to is absolutely fantastic. And, and Reed says, "Say that again." Uh, and it's that horrible leaden bit of dialogue, isn't it? Where you always have this in film, you frequently have this in films where somebody says something, and somebody goes, "Wait, what was that last thing you said?" And he's, uh. the thing is, this does exactly the same thing as the ending of Age of Ultron, ironically. Does it? Where God, all does. the sort of the the new Avenging team are lining up, and Captain America says, "Okay, Avengers." And then it cuts before yeah, it says oh, yeah, assemble. Yeah, yeah. And apparently work on Fantastic Four was going on so late that they, that may have come out before they'd shot that scene. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, well. There it works because it doesn't have that stupid what did you just say mm. bit. And you know what the ne- what's coming next. Yeah. Um, there's a great movie called Roger Dodger about a guy who's teaching his nephew how to pick up women. Mm. And he's really awful. But but they, the two characters slowly develop over the course of the movie, and it ends with that the young kid sidling up to a girl he likes, and he opens his mouth, draws in breath, and then it cuts to black oh, yeah. before he says anything. Mm. And it's just that anticipation. Like I always think, wouldn't it be a good idea in a scene to end with someone sneezing, but you cut just before they sneeze, so you go the <gasps> cut before they actually yeah. sneeze, because it then it puts you off balance yeah, slightly for the next yeah yeah. Yeah, so now they've decided they're the Fantastic Four. But and, also... And the movie stops. Superman doesn't name himself Superman. Lois Lane names it. It seems a bit self-aggrandizing to go, we're the Fantastic Four. We're, we're the Fantastic Four. Like, really? Now do as we tell you or we'll destroy your country. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the, the movie as a whole, it has the bones of a good idea. Doing this 
more grounded approach with, with the horror accent to it. That is a perfectly reasonable approach. Mm. It's not a commercial one. There are just too many mistakes, I think, and that, it, in the production as a whole. But it's also, it's not just going down that Superman Returns. I've forgotten the name of the terrible Superman film now. Um, is it Super? It's not Superman Returns, is it? That's the one. Well, with there Brent. are several terrible Superman. Well, films. this is true. Yeah. Do you mean Man of Steel? Man of Steel. That's it. Superman, that's because just... Superman Returns is terrible as well, yes, but for different but, reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, but but where that is just grew Superman's grim and it's dark, and his, and then you get Superman versus Batman, and it's grim and it's dark, and everybody's gritty and. This film's trying to be weird and unset. It's trying to be adult in, as you say, a very David Cronenberg way. It's not just trying to be adult by people punching each other and swearing. Yeah. It's more mature than that. Yeah, yeah. And it's not able to fully follow through on no. that because it's got limitations of being a big budget movie. It has to appeal more. It mm. can't be R-rated. It has no. to be a PG-13 rated movie. And because Trank wasn't able to act like a reasonable human being mm. and not smash up his house and not scream at the actors and not make himself the most hated man in the mm. town. The whole thing has fallen apart. The little note I've written at the end is that Doom is ultimately defeated, I think, by his own hubris, his own belief that he's all-powerful. Mm. And so was Josh Trank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now he too has been exiled to the Phantom Zone Hmm. Uh, which is called the Job Centre. Yeah. I mean, and it was such a public meltdown, it's kind of hard to know if it's the kind of thing that somebody could come back with. I mean... He'd be better off trying to do something very small, self-funded, perhaps, just to show that he can do it, to show that he has this ability. Um, I think we spoke earlier about M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, yeah. And his new film, Split, will actually have been released by the time this episode comes out. So we'll know whether or not it's actually good. as good as good as it apparently is, or if audiences have taken to it. Yeah. But he has finally, apparently, managed to come out of the trough of horrible career choices he's made mm. by, say, not casting himself as the savior of the world. Uh, yes. Yeah. But equally, I mean, it's that because obviously Hollywood is a business. It, providing you're successful, you could. I mean, look at how many chance, how many second chances has Mel Gibson had? Because yeah. he makes money. Uh, and so you can apparently be the most horrible person in the world after Rex Harrison. And still... <laughs> uh, well, Rex Harrison has the benefit of being dead. Yes, that's right, yeah. But he's now... He's made this new he's movie, which is, new films, which is yeah. very highly acclaimed. Exactly. And it's all now suddenly... and It's all water under the bridge. Everything that happened before is just water under the bridge. But then again, he's an actor. I don't know in the case of somebody that's just a director whether it's is that, that easy to come back from. I don't know what I, I wanted. Given we were talking about Max Landis earlier, I don't know what John Landis's career was like after the events of the Twilight Zone film. He was still working. I know he made a film in '85, which would have only been three years later. So he carried on working, and it's more, I think, that the film industry kind of moved past his type of movie. Yeah, that the kind of things that he wanted to make were not necessarily the sort of things that studios which are driven primarily by the bottom line wanted to do yeah and actually um i saw an interview with max Lenz where he said something very similar and i think he's right 
would a studio now want to finance something like American Werewolf in London? Well, yeah. And, well, actually, having said that, supposedly that's Max Landis's next movie. That well, he's going to remake that. I don't think that's a good idea. No, I. I don't think it's a good idea for anyone to do it. No. I don't think it's. And actually, I don't like American Werewolf in London very much anyway, which is probably something I shouldn't say. Around. It's. I, I'm not sure how much it's got going for it once you take away the fact that the special effects looked amazing at the time. Some of it is very clever. But yeah. I don't think that it's. I, I just think the tone of it is too all over the place. And it's supposed to be very jarring in terms of the comedy is supposed to be really funny and the horror is supposed to be genuinely scary. But then towards the end, the tone becomes far too weird. And there's that really abrupt ending, which I won't spoil, yeah, yeah. which I just think, no, that's completely wrong mm. for the kind of movie this is supposed to be. Maybe maybe to have another scene just to continue there, just to let the air out gently. But it just ends... Very, very it just suddenly. sort of stops, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Now, have you seen the first Fantastic Four movie? Uh, a long time ago. Now, I can tell you that the answer is yes, because I was there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's how I saw it as well. Yeah, and I think it was a... Well, it must have been a dodgy copy, because they I don't... all are. Yeah, by, by definition. definition. Yeah. Um, made, it's Made in 1993... Uh, production started, I think, three days before the rights were due to expire. Wow. The rights had been picked up by the German producer, Bernd Eichinger, for his production company, Constantin Film. And he needed to produce something quickly. He enlisted Roger Corman, mm. and with a budget of $1 million, a version of the Fantastic Four was made very, very quickly and very, very cheaply and was never intended to be commercially released. It was just so that Eichinger could hold on to the rights. Yeah. But copies have been in circulation ever since. It is the most fun version of the Fantastic Four. Virtually no one working on it knew that this was an Ashcan copy, that this was just to hold on to the rights. So the cast are lots of fun. Mm. And you have Cinema Limbo alumnus Alex High-White from Biggles Adventures in Time as Reed Richards. Oh, okay. I didn't realise that was, was Yeah, him. that's him. Some of the special effects are quite fun, if very low rent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Doctor Doom looks exactly like he does in the comics, complete with his uh, green hood, so mm. he looks like a goblin. And the last shot is of, um, after Reed and Sue's wedding, Reed waving through the uh, sunroof of their limousine with his long, bendy pipe cleaner on. Oh, yes, yeah. Which is absolutely hysterical. It's... A surprisingly fun movie. Uh, my memory of it was that once you got past the fact that it was obviously incredibly low budget, and that that there would be lots of shots of people, lots of shots of sort of villains being pushed into corners by Reed's fake-looking arm. <laughs> it, yeah, I think was just a glove on a long pole. I think so. Yes. <laughs> and was Johnny Storm animated? Because I think this may yes. even have been when too he, early for CGI. It's he is CGI, but he's ve- a very small amount of CGI because mm. they keep using the same bits over and over again. <laughs> yeah. When he's when he's in his fire form, yeah, yeah. and um, the thing is done as well as a guy, a guy in a suit, yeah. just as with the, the later big budget Hollywood movies, mm. and it looks arguably slightly better. Well, at least he's there, and not, uh, invisibility's always been a very cheap special effect for films <laughs> and television, so they didn't have too much trouble with her. So, listener, there are three films called The Fantastic Four, and one with a subtitle. Of the three, one is a professional piece of work, one is an unprofessional piece of work that has a fascinating history, and the other was apparently made in someone's garage. 
And two of them are worth watching, but for different reasons. I'm hoping they do a new one, so that will be terrible as well. Oh, I'm sure. But they find a completely new level of awful for it to reach. It kind of looks like they're just making them out of spite now. Because Marvel... Marvel has pretty pretty much disowned it. I believe Marvel has cancelled the Fantastic Four comic. Yes, they did did before the movie came out. And they also featured lookalikes of the actors from the Josh Trapp film in a few frames in a Punisher comic strip and they get blown up. Oh, that seems um, unnecessary. Their website has little sections for every Marvel movie, including the ones that they don't own. Mm. So like Howard the Duck oh, uh, and the X-Men ones yeah. and the Spider-Man ones. Nothing for this version of Fantastic Four. So it's, it's entirely possible that, yeah, in a, whenever the rights are due to expire, there will be another film. And is it is this Fox again? I it's think, Fox, yeah. yeah. They will just make them out of spite, I suspect, because... The person who greenlit this movie was the same one who blocked production on Deadpool. Oh, that's interesting. That seems odd. Because Deadpool it? was a giant hit because they got to make the movie that was yeah. appropriate. It seems odd that somebody would greenlight a dark and Cronenbergian version of Fantastic Four and then block... A similarly sort of effectively R-rated vision. It just that seems doesn't seem to be much consistency there. As our good friend William Goldman has always said, when it comes to Hollywood, nobody knows anything. Cinema Limbo is on iTunes with 30 episodes available, so please download, review, and subscribe. Podnose is also on Patreon, so please pop a penny in the box to help us with our running costs. We're also on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, and in person, at j underscore j underscore phillips, with two L's. But until next time, remember, there is no victor. There is only Zool. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, edited by Tilda Riser, with music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcast Network, Visit us at www.podnose.com.